Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. We're going to dive in, so you should have received some worship guides on your way in. If you'll go ahead and grab those, and inside there are some message notes that I'm going to walk us through today, and uh, just a little bit of highlight of where we're going this next month. So we've got a massive series over the summer that we're going to be highlighting over the next few weeks, but today starts a brand new series um, on the book of Philippians. So if you're newer to Radiant, usually a time or two a year, we'll take a, a month out of the year or two months out of the year and do more of what's called exegetical preaching, which is more like through the, through the chapter, verse by verse, versus just a topic. And so today I'm gonna open that up from the book of Philippians, which if you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's honestly a super tiny book. It's only about four or five chapters and you can read it in probably 12 to 15 minutes. So maybe read that this week. And it's a power-packed passage and power-packed book of the Bible. Um, it was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who was just a, just a key leader in the development of the early church, a mega leader, planted churches, just a phenomenal uh, person in church history that we follow. And he actually wrote it. So the book of Philippians is actually a letter that he wrote to a church that he had previously planted in the city of Philippi. And that's how we, it's, they are the Philippians and that's how we got to this place. And so the idea of the similarities are just awesome because this church would have been a couple of years old whenever Paul wrote this letter to them. And so much like Radiant Church is a, a couple of years old and, and Paul wrote the, the book of Philippians to the church in Philippi to kind of mature them, to kind of take them to another level of, of, of their walk. Today and over the next few weeks, I think Radiant Church is gonna be blessed by the book of Philippians and we're gonna just continue to grow into all that God has for us. Something interesting that I do wanna highlight um, about the book of Philippians is that Paul actually wrote the whole book or letter rather. We read it in chapters and verses. It was actually just a letter when he wrote it, uh, but he wrote it from a jail cell. Now, if, uh, if you remember the last time I preached, I told you that I went from being a dope dealer to being a hope dealer. And so um, it's not the uh, type of gel that we would think of today. And I promise those of you that are like, why is he preaching? I promise I limited amount of time behind bars. So <laughs> just kidding. Um, the idea that he wrote this from a prison cell, but it was a first century prison. So it's not like three hots in a cot kind of deal. This is literally underground rock and mud, like no light. It's like, a, it's a pit. And so this isn't like a nice a nice area where they gave him a whole workstation and a computer lab to write this book. This is the bottom of the barrel. And actually it would have been considered maximum security, which in these days would have meant he was actually chained to a guard full time as a, as a result of being maximum security. Now those guards would be basically on shifts. And so every you know, eight or 10 hours, a new guy would be the guard. But this is like the bottom of the barrel, and this is where we find the book of Philippians. And so I'm gonna dive in, and we're just gonna kind of start and, and talk through the verses. So we're gonna start in, in verse three today of chapter one. And it says this, that I thank my God every time I remember you. Just pause for a moment. So we have a pastor who travels um, overseas. He's been doing missionary work in Sri Lanka and India for like, since I've known him the last 10 or 15 years. And could you imagine, like, so the Apostle Paul, Pastor Aaron goes, he planted Radiant, he moves, he's doing some other stuff across the world. 
and all of a sudden we catch the news that he gets arrested, like him and Pastor Ryan are on a trip and he gets arrested in India or Sri Lanka. Could you imagine him writing a letter, hey, Radi- the, the book of Radiant Church, and I thank my God every time I remember you. I do not think that any of us would be that. I think we'd be dropping pins on Google Maps or Apple Maps for those of you that are still back there. And the, the, um, the idea of radiant... Uh, Insta stories and Facebook lives. We would have one with a SOS video in, in a matter of moments that would be live and in person because of the nature of what he would be going through. But we have to understand that Paul is opposite of this. He's thinking, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all of my prayers for all of you, I am always pray with what? With joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. Before I move on, I wanna just pause there for a second and just kind of highlight what we're gonna be digging into through the book of Philippians because this is, the, the theme of Philippians would be joy, but it's written by a guy who's in a jail cell, and so this idea that we, as human beings, have bad days. It's just part of the deal, and we have un, just detours and setbacks and things that, that get on our nerves and all of that. And so we have to understand as we dig into this topic that we're coming from a writer who understands what it's like to have a bad day. And the way that we're saying it through the whole series is that essentially that my joy is my job. So let's say that together. My joy is my job. So this idea of my joy being my job and bad days and all of that, you might be saying, oh, man, Bobby, yikes, bro. Like, can we have Pastor Ern back? You're being like super negative. Can you be more positive. Well, let me pause for a second. I am positive that you and me are gonna have some bad days. Like, we're gonna have some bad stuff happen. But what I believe we're gonna learn through the book of Philippians is gonna be legendary. So it's gonna be good. So let's keep going through verse six, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that's a power-packed line of scripture. If you're new to the Bible, that's like one of those that you highlight and that you try to memorize because even in the middle of the bad day, even in the middle of the setback, even in the middle of all the stuff, that God is working it out because he began a good work in you and he is committed to making sure that he carries it out to the completion until Christ returns. And so this is huge for us to know. Now, before we dig too much into the, the passage, I wanna outline this difference that just kind of came to me through, throughout reading Philippians is that human beings, we like happiness. You know, the, we grew up eating happy meals. Like we made a whole movie, The Pursuit of Happy. Like it's, it's in our DNA and in our culture to want happiness. And the idea of joy and happiness have so many similarities, but the differences are striking. And I wanna make sure that any myths out there that we debunk. So just for a few moments, We're going to outline the difference between happiness versus joy. So happiness in your notes is external. The things, it's the result of the things that are around you. Whereas joy is internal. Now this is pretty elementary stuff, but some of you need to hear this and some of you need to be reminded of this because happiness, again, the result of the things that are happening around you, the exterior, the external, whereas joy is internal, it's the stuff that's happening inside of us, the thing that's coming from the inside out. You know, and you might say like, Bobby, man, you have no idea. Like you, you're, you don't know what my pain is, you don't know what I've gone through, and you're probably right. All of us can kind of put a meter out of who's, who's had harder things. 
But I assure you that most of us have not encountered what the writer of this book encountered, which is Paul, or yeah, which is the Apostle Paul and what he went through. And I just wanna highlight a couple of things. We won't spend a lot of time in this, in other verses other than Philippians, but it's huge for us to know what this individual went through. So in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul actually outlines kind of some stuff that had been happening. So again, just, um, the, just to understand who he was, he was not like a ragtag, you know, rough guy. Like he would have been, he was the most intellectual, the most academic, the most accomplished. Like he has a whole resume before all the bad stuff of just who he was. He would have been a Harvard law grad, Columbia. Like he would have been a beast in our day. He was the top of the food chain for, for his society in terms of being a leader and, and how he was trained in different things. And so he became a follower of Christ and then underwent some persecution and had some bad days. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 11 that multiple times, like five times, he received the corporal punishment of the 39 lashes, like literally, you know, chained to a, a pole and they whip you for 39 lashes. He had oftentimes, he was in prison, so this wasn't like his only thing um, in prison, like he had multiple uh, times in prison. He was beaten with rods, in a, in a major way, three times the Bible says. And then he had multiple shipwrecks. Like not just one, like, you know, you would think like, I don't know, I've never been in a shipwreck. I don't know that I would wanna endure multiple shipwrecks, but he had multiple. And one of them, he actually, um, the Bible says that he stayed in the open sea for a night and a day. Now I'm a native Floridian. I've grown up around the water, you know, scuba diver, fisherman, all of that stuff. I actually do not remember, uh, like have memories before living around the water, like I've just grown up around it. But I could tell you this, that I'm like an ankle deep guy in the middle of the night. I don't know about you, but the, the night, water at night scares me to death. And could you just imagine, like you're just like waiting to die. Like it would have been the worst thing ever. So that again is the guy who wrote this. So we're gonna dig into one, we're gonna veer off a little bit out of Philippians. But in 2 Corinthians chapter four, this is Paul, he wrote this one too. It says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Time out. Light and momentary? So being shipwrecked, bobbing in the Mediterranean Sea for a night and a day is momentary and light and being beaten by like grown men who are warriors, not like by weak sauce. Uh, like I lived in Nashville, there's like some petite hipster guys that you, you, know, you get beat by one of them and it's not that bad. These are like... These are like Captain America, Thor, like the old Thor, not the new Thor idea, like grown men, just like beating, like he, so light and momentary. If I can confess, as I was reading this, I thought like, I, who am I? My light and momentary troubles are whenever uh, Starbucks is out of cold brew, like, and it happens, you know, like, I'm a black coffee guy, but I like cold brew, and every so often they're just like, sir, we're out, and I'm like, what's the point of living the rest of the day? Like, I'm gonna go home. Or, now I have to confess, but I believe that there's some other people in the room, so no judgment, but like McDonald's, and you can't lie to me because I see the lines around the buildings, so I know some of you, uh, we don't like to say that we go there, but we do. Um, and they have the best soft serve ice cream. Like, it's cheap, it's easy to get, it's a drive-through. And over the last few times that I've gone, I've pulled up to the drive-through, you know, mouth salivating on thinking about what uh, this ice cream is gonna be like, and then, you hear on the other end of the intercom that, sir, we're sorry, the, the machine's down. And it's like, and then you're already in the line and there's cars that have already pulled up behind you and you don't really wanna go into the pit of eating like 
the garbage of the food, you just wanted the ice. Like that is light and momentary troubles. Not, not being beaten. But this is what he's saying. So renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Again, joy is, is internal. It's leading towards the eternal. Achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So if we fix our eyes on not what is seen, not on the, the stuff around us, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, it's all gonna fade away. All the, the bruises are gonna heal, the cuts are gonna heal. I might've had to get stitches, but it's gonna heal. Um, you know, all the stuff is gonna be temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then on into your notes, it's happiness is simply based on circumstances. And that's what he's trying to get us to see is that all of the bad days are just circum, it's all the stuff. And sometimes what happens is we end up getting into an endless cycle of trying to figure out why, why, why this is happening. And, and what we need to do is joy, which is based on Christ. See, happiness is based on circumstances. You can't move that. But joy, the real stuff is based on Christ. Let me prove it to you. So in Psalm 16, it says this, one of my favorite passages of scripture in all the Bible, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with, you will fill me with, in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The idea that joy actually comes from Jesus. Joy is based on Christ. One last thing on happiness and joy is happiness happens by chance. It's luck, it's, it's pure luck. It's, um, you're driving down St. Pete and you're on 4th or MLK or here in Tampa on Dale Mabry and it's like all the lights are green. Happiness, it's by chance. It's, it's, it's by chance. And what I don't like about that is it always happens when I don't need it to. Like, you're like, you're kind of cruising. You're not going over the speed limit. You're not, you know, swerving in and out of lanes, all of that stuff, and all the lights are green. When you need to be somewhere, they're all red. It's like, man, I can't win. So, so happiness is simply based on chance where this joy happens by choice. Even if all the lights are red, even if all of the, all, all Hades is breaking loose, we're, we're all good. Joy is by choice. I wanna just tell you this, and if you wanna remember one thing, this is huge. I'm honestly, I'm the one preaching today, but honestly, I'm learning this message in real time because this is stuff that we just, we have to work out day by day, and so this is huge. So if you wanna kinda remember something, don't let the thing you can't control, control you. Now some of it, you know, we've made light of the red light. So there's some big stuff happening, there's some small stuff. A lot of it you just can't control, and you end up getting into this cycle of repetition, and you don't move past it, and you get, and you get kind of wasted away in this little world instead of just having joy, which is a choice. So I wanna, I wanna just tell you a quick story, um, and I'm gonna make it quick, but I grew up playing baseball at the age of four is something my mom and dad just kind of put me in, I liked and stuck with it. Now, just real quick, so Pastor Ryan is like athlete of all athletes. He probably can be a, co a commentator or whatever they call those guys on ESPN, whereas Pastor Aaron wouldn't have known the word commentator, right? You know, it's like one of those things. <laughs> Sorry, I love you. Um, so I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I'm not like, I don't know it all, but I know a little bit. By the way, Pastor Aaron does beat us in every sport, so just kudos to our pastor. He, he, make, he, he plays that off well, but he is one of the best athletes on our staff. But this idea that I played baseball and um, 
So grew up playing baseball, and in my world, it, it was like the coolest thing ever to have the airbrushed batting helmet as a little kid. I'm talking elementary school. My parents, they loved, they loved me. It was all good, but they had the nerve. They put a bulldog on the front of the helmet, like an aggressive-looking bulldog, and on the back, they, it, it said, like every other kid on the team had their name. Mine said bad attitude. And like, so I would walk around, and, and I kind of owned it. I just, I just kind of was in a, a I was... Um, just a boy who loved to be an aggressive little guy on the field. And so I would be up to bat and it would, it would prove to be so. If I was hitting in runs, if I was getting on base, if I were doing my job, if I were turning double plays, if I was making outs, all of that, man, I was happy. I was the best. I was the leader of the team, all that kind of stuff. But man, if I was not winning, I lost it. I mean, I remember throwing my bat against the fence. I remember arguing as a child with the umpire who's a volunteer. Like, you know, it's... <laughs> Uh, which my kids do not know that. So in June, I'm gonna, they both have birthdays. I'm gonna have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old boy. They do not know that story. They, they are under the impression and they will be until they are you know, older that you respect your elders. So don't tell them that story. But I was just like this mean little kid and, and it, it's all by choice. It was all by circumstance. It was all, I was living the happiness versus joy. And you're like, oh, well, you were a kid. It was probably just a kid. No, no, no. Let me just real quick, fast forward. I was 20 years old, 19 years old, I kind of came to faith in Christ. And after living a rough lifestyle, uh, God just brought me into this <clears throat> community, uh, this youth and young adult group. And so about a year and a half after that kind of life transformation that I experienced, I met Pastor Aaron. And he's like, hey man, you know, I go to India a couple times a year, da, da, da. You, you, and, you and some other guy should come. And I'm like, sweet, I've never been to Asia. I'd love to, da, 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 da. So we go, it's me, Pastor Aaron, and two of our friends. We're on a train in India, going from one city to another city, doing like village ministry and stuff. And we pull out phase 10, and which is a fun game. You know, like you should board games and phase 10 and all that kind of stuff. So we're playing it and I'm good. I start losing and I start losing it. You know what I mean? Like I, I as a grown man, as a 20 year old guy, to my pastor, I'm like, Ugh, you know, I got aggressive. I, I think at one point I threw my cards on the table, uh, threatening to quit. like. What are we even playing? Like, how absurd is this? All that to say, I did come back and win, um, which I did. No, no joke. I did come back to win. And I would have, you would have thought I would have won the lottery. Like, I mean, I was such a roller coaster. And so I've had to learn this lesson of happiness versus joy in the most real way. Um, I do want to say real quick on the joy, and then we're going to move into the scriptures, the joy versus happiness, because you, you got to understand it, because we've been saying that my joy is my, come on church, my joy is my. My joy is my job. We've been learning that, but we have to understand that, that joy actually does come from Christ. So imagine this, that you have a wealthy father who on the 16th birthday of his son or daughter, he gives them the best car that they could ever imagine, the bells, the whistles, you know, imagine the greatest car in your mind. They get it. The gift is given. It's from the dad. The dad gave the car. The dad paid the bill. The dad did what he needed to do to resource the kid. But it's the kid's job to turn the key or to push the button if you know, some of us still have the key, some of us have the push button, but either way, you gotta crank the car and you gotta drive the car. Like, it's your job to drive the car. Your, dad, your dad's not chauffeuring you around. So that's where this joy becoming our job happens. Jesus paid the way for us to have joy. Now it's our responsibility to make it our job. So good stuff. Let's dig back into this. This is gonna be helpful for us today. Back to Philippians, now we're in verse nine. It says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern. I wanna pause there for a second 
just to kind of dig into the verse a little because Jesus wants to do two things in our lives today. One is he wants us to abound more and more in knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. knowledge. So that's you. You're taking notes today. You're writing stuff down. Some of you might even be taking side notes that aren't in the, the actual note. Like you're learning some stuff. For example, don't write bad attitude on the, the back of your kid's helmet. Like it's good to know. It's knowledge. So it's natural. It's just kind of good stuff to know. And then depth of insight so that we can discern that is the supernatural. That's how, that's the stuff that God had to work out on the inside of uh, baseball Bobby and phase 10 Bobby. And now I've, I've worked it out a little bit more. I just stopped playing games altogether. That's my secret. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but the idea that like there's some internal stuff because joy is internal and God wants to supernaturally do some stuff inside of my life, inside of your life. And so just catching that, that there's some real natural stuff and there's some supernatural stuff. There's some addictions that you can go to every class and you could try your best, but you're gonna need the supernatural power of God to break some addictions. You, some of you are getting jealous at your workplace because other people are being promoted and you're not, and God is gonna have to supernaturally work out internally some of those jealousy issues or some of the discontent, or you fill in the blank of whatever the thing is. And so joy and, and happiness is, is real. Um, wanna dig into this, the be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through who? That comes through who? So it doesn't come through my good works. It doesn't come from me trying my best. The joy factor, the righteousness isn't coming through all of that. It's coming through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, number one, and we're gonna kind of dig into some real practical stuff here for a second. And uh, what Paul, I feel like, would have said to us if he would have outlined a, a practical thing is that, you know, sitting in a prison cell when he planned on doing something else, he's just simply had to stop asking why. You know, why am I in this prison cell? Why is my coworker being promoted? You know, why am I uh, so frustrated? Why, why am I at a standstill in my relationships and social life? Like, well, why this and why that? We ask a lot of the questions of why, and what why does is it actually distracts us. And when you're distracted by asking the why, you end up not finding a solution. So verse 12, we're gonna keep going through Philippians here. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So instead of asking why, even though he is not where he wanted to do, be, he never planned on being in prison. That was a detour. Like he had plans, he had goals, he had ambitions to plant these churches, to go to Rome, all of this, and he landed in this prison cell. But he's saying it's actually served to advance the gospel. My bad day is actually working out for the good. And I'm looking at it, instead of trying to be happy, I'm letting joy come to the top, and I'm starting to see the perspective. Which leads us to number two, which is start asking what? So if we stop asking why and we start asking what? God, what are you doing in this season? Rather than why, why is this person, what are you trying to teach me in this particular difficult time? What are you wanting me to learn to go to the next level? What memories could I make with my children now that I'm a full-time parent instead of why does my spouse get to go out and work and have fun by themselves and eat lunch with their coworkers and I'm stuck with the kids eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? You know, like what memories could I be making? What could I be doing to move the ball forward? Like, it's, it's this whole paradigm shift of start asking 
what? We're gonna dig in to this in a big way because if you catch this, it is a game changer for us. That every day is a new opportunity to be discovered. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy, but if you look at it, Paul showed us that in the bad day of prison, a new opportunity of the letter to the Philippians came. A new opportunity to reach the people in that prison. A new opportunity to build boldness among the churches. So what is your new opportunity through your bad day? Rather than looking at it through you know, just this glass half empty, why don't you look at it through a glass half full? Why don't you look at the opportunity that is before you? Philippians, we're gonna keep diving through this in verse 13, that as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Like, it's like the most negative thing ever, but he's looking at it like, hey, man, isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing what God is doing? Because I started asking what, because I started allowing myself to have joy versus just searching for happiness. What, I thought about this. What if Paul would have made it about him instead of about the bigger vision, and he would have been you know, searching for happiness rather than joy. Could you imagine him sitting there lonely in his prison cell as the victim and just like, oh gosh, you know, do they not know who I am? Do they not know that I come from this wealthy family? Do they not know that I have all of this pedigree of accomplishments and successes? Don't, don't, don't they know that I don't deserve this? And excuse after excuse after excuse. But instead of asking why, he asked what? And it did something incredible. It allowed him to, in your notes, we're gonna skip through this and refocus on what really matters, which is massive if we catch that. That we stop asking why, we start asking what, and that realigns us to refocus on what really matters. It allows us to understand that our joy is our job. He understood that the, the things in, in eternity were still working out. I wanna read this because it's just huge uh, to kind of lead us through the rest of Philippians is starting in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? Could you imagine being the guy who wanted to build something, who wanted to go and plant churches and who wanted to do amazing things for God and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a prison cell and the guys are out there doing things that are against you, that are speaking ill of you and, and making bad rumors and he throws his hands in the air. He's like, it doesn't matter. What does it matter? So you have, to, you have to understand that he really worked this out. Says this that the important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is still preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and again, I will rejoice. This idea that he wasn't thinking of the next 10 days, he wasn't thinking of the next 10 weeks, or even the next 10 months, he had the next 10,000 years on his mind. He had this internal focus, this perspective shift on what is not seen. And he had joy, he made joy his job rather than being a victim. And when he wasn't happy, he didn't fall into a victim mentality. He pursued joy, he made it his job, knowing that it was from Christ. I wanna kind of begin to close on this idea of um, what does that matter for us today? You know, there's a church that did a study on um, people that were nearing death. It's kind of a deathbed mentality. So they did this whole survey with several dozen people 
that um, on what, what, what matters, like what's important, all of this. Can I tell you that it wasn't the colleagues being promoted, it wasn't that the guy picked your best friend instead of you, it wasn't that um, all of the stuff, the closet being clean and the trees being trimmed and you know, the kids, all of the stuff, it wasn't about that. It was, it was more important, it was more developed, it was, it was what really mattered. And you know, I, I can't help but be reminded of, um, of a story that just really hit home. My mother-in-law, who um, is just an amazing woman, her husband left uh, when she was pregnant with her sixth child, um, all the same dad, by the way. My wife likes me to say that. Um, this idea that, you know, pregnant with her sixth child, there, it was eight and under. So can you imagine the amount of, in all girls? Um, and so he, he leaves when she's pregnant with number six. She puts her head down, she puts her hand to the plow, and she raised six of the most godly women, the most driven women. They literally, on her group text, my wife texts nonstop uh, with these, like they're relationally connected, there's no drama. It's just an amazing sight to see what this woman has accomplished, and she loved Jesus. So a couple of years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. So we get the news, obviously it's tragic, it's tough, it's tough to walk through, and uh, it, if you've ever walked through someone with, with that type of diagnosis, it's a roller coaster. You know, it's in treatment. It's a good day. It's a bad day. We're, we're kind of out of the gate, out of the fire, and then, oh man, it spread. And then, you know, it's just a, it was just a long process of thinking that we're done and then going back. So eventually it just kept spreading. And there was a morning, uh, she had moved to Jacksonville to be with my, one of my sister-in-laws and my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law looked at her one morning and we were in the kitchen and he just was like, how do you do it? Like, what's the secret? And she's like, you know, she looks at him like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, you're going through all this. Like, I'm not trying to be weird, but you're going through all this. And like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you wake up and do this? And she looks at him and she says, well, son, his mercies are new every morning. And it was almost like, it's, it's impacted me in such a major way because she, the way she looked at him was almost like, duh. Like, how do you think I'm doing it? His mercies are new every morning. She was anchored to a hope that was beyond her. She was filled with joy. Her circumstances, she received a death sentence and cancer literally took over the woman's body and she kept chugging along without skipping a beat. She is the most faithful, the most God-honoring person I've ever met and her life and now her memory is literally, it impacts me in such a major way that regardless of what happens, that there's a joy that is rooted in Christ that far exceeds what is seen today. And so our bad day, when we have eternity in mind, when we have a focus on what really matters, it's massive, which Paul said at the end of Philippians, and we'll end with this. For to me, Paul, he's on death row. He's in a prison on death row. He knows at any moment they might unchain him from the guard, drag him out, and execute him. He's on death row in this prison, and he pins this to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians, and says, for me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, which is a famous scripture, but if you dig into it, my mother-in-law, I mean, she would, she would love to be here with her grandchildren. She has a few dozen grandchildren that it would be amazing, and that, that is awesome if, if that would have happened. That's not how it worked out, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you do this, when you know Christ, you're in a win-win situation. The bad day, the terrible day, the setback, the detour, the whatever, the breakup, the financial crisis, the, the demotion, the layoff, the whatever you have going on is not bad enough that God isn't still able to fill you with joy. 
and you still can't crank the car of joy and drive down the road, even with a bad report, even with a negative thing. I'm gonna end with this scripture as we look at Jesus modeling this way before he asked us to do it in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had some bad days and and still had joy way before he inspired Paul to write to us about it. Way before he asked us to be filled with joy in the middle of a bad day, he showed us joy in the middle of a bad day. We can read about it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's wrestling with God on, man, is there another way? Do I have to be executed on the cross? Do I have to go and be crucified? And and you can read this throughout the, the gospels that Jesus wrestles with that. And he says, he throws his hands in the air and says, nevertheless, let your will be done. I'm asking for a plan B, but nevertheless, your will be done. And it was for the joy. You are his joy. I am his joy. He showed us joy way before he asked us to have joy in our bad day. And the reality is some of you are in the room today and you want joy. You are angry, you are addicted. And can I tell you, you are in good company because man, I've had to walk through some stuff. But can I tell you that every bad thing, every bad day, every shortcoming, every setback, God has proven to redeem me through it. And so regardless of where you're at, if you're a believer, if you're still kicking the tires of this stuff, whatever it is, don't leave here without at least giving Jesus a chance to fill you with joy and to give you a shot in the middle of traffic. Man, I've got this commute and I'm just in traffic every day. Have you called your mom in the middle of that? Like instead of complaining, you use it. So with that said, I wanna give everyone an opportunity to be filled with joy today. So if you would just go ahead and close your eyes right there in St. Pete and downtown, close your eyes and bow your head and, and just, if that's you and you're like, Bobby, man, I would love to have joy. I'm dealing with some stuff and joy is so far from what I'm experiencing in my life. And I wanna know the joy that only comes through Christ. I wanna start a relationship. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity on the count of three to just raise your hand and we wanna pray for you. So if that's you, one, two, three, go ahead and raise those hands. There's hands going up all over the place. I'm sure it's St. Pete and downtown too. Would you... Just join me in praying this prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. We know that we've made mistakes and we know that we've been disconnected from you, but today we make a choice to choose the joy that comes through you. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? Would you remind us that it was for the joy set before you that you endured the cross and you've given us joy in your presence in Jesus' name. And everyone who believes it says... Amen. Come on, several dozen people in this room at our location just made decisions. Let's give it up for Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.